Welcome to I'd Rather Stay In, the podcast where we talk about what's going on in our brains instead of what's happening outside. We're your hosts, Steffi Predmore and Megan Myers. This week's episode, Ask Us Anything. Hi. Hi, Steffi. (laughs) How's it going, Megan? It's going pretty good, but have you heard of this fun new thing called winter allergies? Oh, no. Not the winter allergies. I am basically when it gets to be, I mean, it's also, you know, that fact that it's so dark in the evening now. Yes. But it gets to be like 730 and I'm basically like, okay, I'm done for the day. Time to crawl in bed and not do anything for the rest of forever. Yeah, it's like this buildup of pollen that makes me extra sleepy, and then it's dark, and it's colder, and I just want to crawl under all the covers. Is this the, like, cedar season? Is that it what is. this is? Yeah, yes. You always have real struggles with the cedar season. It's actually, my reaction actually has been getting better than oh. it used to be. I used to have to uh, lay down in bed with, like, cold compresses over my eyes, um... I get a thing called cedar fever, which basically feels like you have a fever. Oh. Um, it's pretty terrible. And then your eyes get like all crusty and Ooh. it's real bad. But um, I've I've gotten, I don't know if I've just gotten used to it or what exactly has happened. Maybe moving to this house where we don't have as many trees around us. Could be. Helped. It could be. Yeah. But um, I'm getting through it. I'm kind of embracing the fact that I should just go relax early. Yeah, go to bed early. Yeah. I I am all about that. I don't get up any earlier, but... (laughs) No, no, no. Oh, absolutely not. Do not get up earlier. Getting up earlier is stupid. But go to bed earlier and find a really good show to binge watch or some really cheesy movies to watch or whatever. Curl up with a nice warm blankie. Mm -hmm. That's the best. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm good. It's, you know, it's winter and we're surviving. I don't have any cedar pollen to survive, but... Well, everything's dead there. Everything is dead here. (laughs) (laughs) Everything has died. This might be the year it doesn't come back. That's what my great-grandmother, who is from Mississippi, would say every every year when she lived in Indiana. This is the year. It's all dead. It's not coming back. Okay, mama. Cool. Uh, I think it will, (laughs) but I think we're fine. Uh, Yeah, you know, it's winter. Just plugging along and... Hoping we survive till spring. Aren't we just the uppers today? I mean, there's there's got to be somebody combating all the cheeriness in the world, right? I, I mean, if anyone can do it, it can be us. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we decided to do an Ask Us Anything because why not? Yeah, I think uh, we both just thought it would be fun to see what kind of weird and possibly crazy questions you guys would ask us. We didn't get too many weird and crazy ones. No, we got a couple kind of out there questions. More in the fact that we weren't expecting them than even the fact that they're out there questions. Um, But we'll just dive right in. We'll do a starter question because it is January 
And someone wanted to know, how do you feel about New Year's resolutions? Megan, Well, how do we feel about them? You would think that I would love New Year's resolutions um, based on everything else that you know about me. But I'm kind of torn on New Year's resolutions, to be honest, because on the one hand, I absolutely love goal setting. I love making goals. I like planning out for the goals. I like all of that. I love the progress. Um, Everything that's related to that. However, I hate the mindset that comes with the New Year's resolution. Uh Uh-huh. It feels always like very, I don't know, New Year's resolutions to me just seem like they come with all this negative baggage that automatically makes you feel like you're going to (laughs) fail. That is is kind of, you're right. I never thought of it that way, but I think that's, that's, that's right. I am also not a big fan of them, which again, you would think that I would be. I'm a one. I'm all about like being a better person. And how can I be a better person? How can people around me be better people? But I guess I just don't think that you need to wait until the new year to be a better person. So when I decide I'm going to do something or I'm going to, you know, whatever it's going to be, if I'm going to start meditating or I'm going to work out more, I'm going to eat healthier or any of those common new year's resolutions, I just do them. Yeah. I do like the beginning of the year as like a, I know the new year is like still basically arbitrary based on human civilization, but (laughs) um, I, I do appreciate that. Like, new year new beginnings like everyone's so optimistic in the first week of january i like that part of it um but i hate you know like in the second week of january when everyone's like i've already broken my new year's resolution the whole year is in the tubes obviously if i failed already i can never even you know go back and like start over or (laughs) do you know what i do enjoy about that though is that as soon as they all give up, they're not in my gym anymore. I hate the New Year's resolutioners. You go to the gym in January and it's fucking full of resolutioners. And then you get to the end of January and they've all given up and they are not all up in my cardio machines anymore. Go away, resolutioners, bye. Well, I don't go to the gym, so I don't have that problem. Um <laughs> When I was going to bar regularly, uh, the busy schedule was like the summertime. Oh, sure. Yeah. And it was like a weird, it was sort of busy in the summer, but then people would go away. And then when school would start, people would be back on their same routines. And so certain classes would be busier again. It was like, there's like a whole cycle, but it's not based on the new year so much for bar. Yeah. Because that's, since it's a specific class, I think that's. Why? There's not as many people who are just like, I'm going to go pump iron. (laughs) I'm going to go run on the treadmill. I'm going to glide on the elliptical. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, they're Mm -hmm. just everywhere and I don't like it. So I actually like once they all give up. Um, I root for them to give up so that they go away and aren't near me anymore. So that's That's the kind of person that I am. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a bad person. (laughs) So, and 
so we had a handful of questions that are actually about podcasting that we thought that we would answer. One of them was, who designed your cool logo? Well, our logo is designed by one of our friends and co-workers. Her name is Susanna. She has a blog. She um, is a graphic designer. She takes gorgeous photos we will link to her in our show notes sure well but we basically just sweet talked her into making us our logo and um you know we gave her what we kind of were looking for and she worked with us and it was super easy and seamless to work with so i don't know if she's actually looking for other logo work but we will share her uh website and instagram in the notes so you can look her up at the very least, you should follow her on Instagram because she takes beautiful travel photos. She travels a lot. She takes a lot of cocktail, does a lot of cocktail stuff. She does a lot of crafts. So she's very much our people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're into crafting, when you're into crafting and travel and all the cocktails, we want to hang out with you, basically. <laughs> We had another question that was, what made you want to start a podcast? You know, we just started talking about it one day and that was sort of, (laughs) I don't even remember exactly how it all came up. I mean, I know that I really enjoy listening to podcasts and it's sort of like when I wanted to start a blog, I had been reading a lot of blogs and I thought, cool I could do that and with podcasts I was like hmm I enjoy listening to podcasts I also enjoy talking I feel like I could do that but (laughs) Megan you were really the one that sort of said like we should do this and I was like oh yeah well I think somebody at some point had like said that we should do it like told us that oh, we should that's do right. one. Yeah. And I was like, because we're oh, just that entertaining in real life. Apparently. And so, <laughs> but I don't know what they're seeing, but okay. And, but I was thinking about it and I was like, no, actually, like that sounds really fun. I do want to do that. And then it took months and months of us being like, yeah, we should do that. We should totally uh, get on the ball and uh, do that. I even, thing. yeah, <laughs> I even like bought my mic, like I bought all the stuff and it sat behind my desk for like six months months. yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) same I think I got my stuff first and then you got yours after and Mm -hmm. then we just were like yep we're gonna do that yeah one day we're like okay we're actually gonna do it which leads us into another question which was how do you guys create a podcast with so much distance between you and that's a really valid question I live in Illinois you live in Texas we're not in the same room recording this podcast basically ever uh, yeah, but I think actually a secret of a lot of podcasts is that they are not in the same room. Yeah, I think it's per- I think that's actually more normal than like, unless you're listening to like one of the fancy podcasts where they have, <laughs> have a studio, but that's pretty rare. A lot of them are going to be probably in their own homes, even if they live in the same town, in their own homes, in their own like extra bedrooms or walk-in closets or something with their podcast mics. Um, But we actually use a program called Cast, and it allows us to both um, log into our studio and record, and we can have guests, as many guests as we need to have on, and so that's how we have our guests on. 
and everybody comes into the studio at the designated time and we record and then it also allows you to record um to edit and then publish to your feed all in one um very easy to use program which we love yeah i love that it's absolutely so easy to use and we've been able to have guests on here using that we haven't had to switch platforms for anything um a couple times we edit using GarageBand just because it's a little bit Megan more really specific. generously said we she means her I yes. do not do the editing I, I edit in GarageBand <laughs> or in cast um if there's issues it's all me because basically you guys we don't know what we're doing we're making it up as we go along Absolutely. could you tell we are 17 episodes into this podcast, and we're just kind of winging it. Which, I get that actually leads into what have been the hardest and easiest parts of starting a podcast. I mean, honestly, the hardest part was, like, getting it set up. Like- I do feel like getting started was the hardest part. And I guess... To that end, if anyone out there has been toying with the idea of starting a podcast, just just do it. Just start your podcast because that, I think, really is the hardest part. Yeah, I mean, think there's, you know, the tool that, that we use for like cast, it's so easy to use and they make the editing part really easy to use. And it's really just a matter of being like, okay, I'm going to do it. Like any other project that you would start, like a workout regimen or eating healthier or anything like that, it's just starting is the hardest part. Mm -hmm. Aside from that, I would also say um, getting it submitted to all the various platforms, while that's not difficult, it's just a little time consuming and can be confusing because each of the platforms is different and there are so many out there now it's a little overwhelming um yeah that's why we're not on every single podcast thing that's out there yeah but once you get it all set up you just sit back because the rss feed takes care of it for you god love an rss feed i know Um, in terms of like easiest obviously getting on once a week and chatting with one of my best friends is super wonderful so just doing it for yourself god i know i'm such a nightmare oh my god Uh, somebody should send megan cookies for dealing with me every week uh But, you know, so that's super fun. But we also are both, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but like we both are a little analytically minded. And so being organized in terms of we record a few weeks in advance. And so um, that helps us stay organized and it helps us in case we do fall behind like have a little bit of a buffer to still be publishing content for you guys every week um but for us staying ahead with that schedule is pretty easy we set up a spreadsheet that we both you know we both love our spreadsheets because nerd alert um and you know, we sort of have been able to divvy up the tasks. So Megan handles the editing. I do all of our show notes. Um, we divide up social media. So in that regard, having a podcasting partner is great because we're both able to play to our strengths and divide the tasks in a way that makes it so there's not too much on either of our plates and makes it really doable for us to put out a podcast every week. Um, if I didn't 
have a partner, I probably wouldn't be putting something out every single week. It would probably have to be like every other week or something because it just, I probably just wouldn't be able to keep up with it. But we're a little tame. Also, you'd be talking to yourself and oh. that's a little weird. <laughs> I mean, there are people that do that for sure, but um, I personally don't think I would have much of anything by myself to say that anyone would want to listen to. So. <laughs> personally doesn't really work for me so i'll just keep on keep on podcasting with you well let's pivot a little bit and get to this other question that kind of is uh about our day jobs actually it's really about our day jobs um the this listener said i don't really understand your jobs or industry tell us more we get this a lot oh my god (laughs) from our family Oh my god, my, my husband, if I had a dollar for every time I got this question, I wouldn't need my job anymore. Exactly. I would be set for life. <laughs> so I guess to lay the foundation for our industry in terms of what we do, the company that we work for is an ad management company for bloggers. So if you go on blogs and you see display ads, our company handles that stuff so that the bloggers can create all of their wonderful content without having to worry about, you know, getting advertisers on their site or um, managing all of that stuff because it can be really complicated on the back end. So we handle all of that stuff. And we also have a number of services and products that we offer to the bloggers that we work with to help them make their businesses more sustainable as online content creators. So some of that is WordPress plugins, some of that is education on our different social platforms. Um, We host conferences, which goes into what Megan does for us. Uh, Yeah, part of the uh, tenets of the company is education. So we hold our own conferences and we also attend a lot of conferences to speak at and to meet with the publishers that we work with and just meet new people. And so I manage like all of that. It ends up being quite a lot of events throughout the entire year. So I'm like the logistics person on all of the sides of that, which comes down to, you know, shipping items to people, to ordering swag, to determining who is going to arrive at what time and when we're going to have dinner and all the little nitty gritty details of 45 plus events a year. Her shining, shining talent is being able to put together a really awesome menu when she's ordering (laughs) catering she is so good people tell us all the time that our events have the best food of any conferences that they've ever been to and not just for people with like standard diets but she's so megan is so good at getting really good food for like special diets, gluten-free, vegan, um, stuff that even people who aren't gluten-free or vegan are like, oh, I want to eat that. So that is, in my opinion, one of Megan's best talents. Listen, I have been a food blogger for 13 years and I have been to a lot of conferences with terrible food. Yes. And when you are at a conference you just paid a bunch of money to go to 
and you are there to learn all day and you are not fueled because <laughs> it's really bad shit. like that's it's you don't want to stay because you're starving for one thing and yeah. you also lost all this money because they didn't feed you properly it makes me angry when other conferences don't feed people um yeah. Yeah, so it's important to me to make sure that everyone gets fed. I don't like people being left out. So I tried hard. Yes, well, she does a good job. And Stephanie's job is uh, we're kind of in this, we're on the same team, but you, we work very differently in terms of what we do because you actually work on sponsored campaigns. I do. I'm our director of influencer marketing. So I work with brands to help them put together sponsored campaigns that utilize the talents of our bloggers. Um, So that can be anything from sponsored blog posts to social media campaigns to video to live events um, or press trips or some combination thereof and get to utilize the my blogger side and utilize my former life when I worked in PR on the brand side. So I really understand both sides of that equation and get to balance both of those things and bring some really great work to some very talented people. And that's a lot of fun for me. But it also means that my poor husband. It never really knows how to answer the question, what does your wife do for a living? He hates that question. (laughs) Yeah. Because it is very complicated. And I'll be honest, when I am just out and about in life and people are like, what do you do? I say, I work in marketing. Right. And then I gauge their interest and also not to be a horrible person. I also kind of gauge their age as to how much I go down what I actually do versus like trying to just like stay very top level because you can say okay so I work with bloggers and then if they get this like glazed over look in their face you're like Mm -hmm. nope okay I'm not going any further down this rabbit hole but if they're like oh yeah I read all blogs all the time you're like okay all right maybe I can go a little further (laughs) yeah so dumb it down real quick about like what does a sponsored campaign mean So sponsored campaigns are where brands are looking to get a little bit more personal than just like display advertising. You know, you go onto a website and you see these ads and they definitely have more of an impact than I think anyone actually really realizes when you're seeing them. Um, But when you're looking at sponsored content, that is content that a blogger or an influencer has created to showcase a brand's products or services. And most of the time, if the blogger is really doing their job and you know they're really keyed into their audience, it's probably a product that they are already a fan of, they're already using. And so they're able to create this content in a way that's really natural to them and really natural to their audience and makes sense for the people that they are promoting it to. So for example, um, if you're a food blogger, you might be creating content on behalf of a vanilla company and be creating recipes to showcase 
the vanilla product. And then you're talking about why that brand is the vanilla that you choose in your kitchen, what makes it different from its competitor products, why your reader should go out and buy it, why that ingredient is going to make the difference in your cookie recipe. But you're doing it in a way that doesn't sound like an ad, you're doing it in a very natural way. um, That is going to read really naturally to your readers and make them not only want to make your recipe, not only want to go out and buy the product, but also really trust your opinion. Um, so influencer marketing has something is something that has become um, a really key part of a lot of brands' uh, marketing budgets because of that trust factor, because bloggers have these audiences that have in many cases been following them for years and really trust their product recommendations and the brands know like oh hey if we can key into that trust factor then there's a whole audience of people that are going to go buy this product especially when you get into really niche areas like um for example keto bloggers they're when they make a product recommendation their readers are like yes because that's something very, very niche, and they need very specific products for those recipes to work out. And so when a keto blogger says, I really trust XYZ brand, people flock to go buy it. Similar to, I guess, uh, our, so we have our full-time jobs that we just explained, and hopefully you maybe understood what we were talking about. Um, but we also have our side gigs, our side hustles. So that's blogging and podcasting, but first blogging. So what got us into blogging? We talked a little bit about this in our food episode, but Megan, kind of recap how you got into blogging. Yeah, the quick recap is that I was um, trying to teach myself how to cook more and using the magic of the internet. I found Smitten Kitchen and Homesick Texan. Those are the first two blogs that I read. Um, And I also, at the time, had my own live journal. And when I saw the food blogs, I realized, oh, this is a cool, awesome thing. And I'm teaching myself how to cook and learning about food. So I'm going to start interspersing my little stories that I have on my website with recipes as well. And then... I realized that no one cared about the stories that much um, because they were, you know, live journaly stories and moved into food blogging. And that was uh, in 2006 when I started my blog a long time ago. So long ago. And it has led to so much. It's pretty crazy. So many things. So many things. Yeah. I was reading blogs. And then as I was reading blogs, I was like, I think I could do that because I love writing and I love cooking. And I was like, I can maybe figure out this photography thing, which has taken me a while. And I'm sort of getting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was bored and didn't have really much going on in the evenings once I graduated from college and had a big girl job and thought, eh, I think I'll start a I think I'll start a blog. Why not? And like Megan, it has it has evolved into something that has led to more than I could have imagined when I just, you know, started that little blog back, gosh, eight years ago, I guess. So I haven't been blogging as long as Megan has, has but um, 
it's still it's still a while i started blogging when people were still mostly just doing it for fun no one was very few people were really like making a living oh yeah there was like it was like maybe like three people and they were held up on a pedestal like the gods yes yes so most people when i started blogging in 2011 were just doing it simply because it was a passion and there's definitely there are definitely people that do that now um but many many people also are blogging now and getting into it because they know that they can grow it into a full-time job yeah so you actually started your blog um after you started working in food industry so I actually started blogging kind of about the same time I started working in the food industry. Um, well, I was working in nonprofit when I got out of school, started blogging. Um, a little soon, little bit ways after that, I left that job and was tutoring full time and met someone that was a rep at a PR firm that was local to me and they needed some admin work and during the holidays when they were busy and I needed some extra money. And sort of from that part-time job, because I had the blog, they knew I could write. They gave me more than just admin work. That transitioned into a full-time job, which transitioned into me running our food and client accounts because I understand food and I know how to write about food. And so all of that was over this course of a couple of years, but was all sort of happening at the same time, um, which was a, made for a very interesting um, just um, combination of things happening in my life and learning about food blogging and that community as I was learning about PR and influencer marketing and all of those things. So it just all sort of grew together, really. That's awesome. And I think we will probably circle back to that topic a little bit when we do our episode on networking. Because yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah for sure. So uh, here's a food question that I love, which is who should we be following to learn cooking techniques? Oh, gosh. Um, that's a really great question. And Someone that I am obsessed with right now that you actually turned me on to is Joshua Weissman. Oh my God, I love him. <laughs> His videos are amazing. Um, they're basically, he doesn't really have a blog. No, I think he might be working on a website, but yeah. he's got a, an amazing YouTube channel and his yeah. Instagram stories are hilarious. His Instagram stories are hilarious. His YouTube videos are great. Um, they might... You know, there there might not necessarily be things that you're interested in making. Like sometimes it's things like mochi balls, which mm-hmm. most people aren't going to make. But sometimes it's just like bread. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really like watching those. They're entertaining. I feel like I'm learning a lot just watching him. And it's, you know, the way he makes bread is very different from how I have been doing it. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to soak that all up. Um, I think he's good. I think... Um, I'm not gonna it's not a food blog but I would say uh the recent group of Bon Appetit videos that they've been putting out Mm -hmm. are really entertaining and fun and there's a lot of different series to those ones and there's a bunch that are um 
I don't want to say basic, but more of like technique videos rather yeah. than like uh, gimmicky ones. Because they do have a few gimmicky series, which are also fun, but they do have technique type videos. But the way that they do them is so professional that um, I think they're really good to watch. I'm trying to yeah. think of like a food blog that does really good videos because I think videos are obviously a really good way to learn actual techniques versus learning through reading. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure. Because it's you can see how people are holding their knives. You can see how people are actually, you know, breaking down whatever food it is. Yeah. This is very Serious helpful. Eats is a really good website. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if you're, if you do like pastry and baking and stuff, uh, the the section that Stella Parks does is excellent. She has a really, really good baking cookbook. Yeah. I am going to go a little old school and I'm going to say watch some Good Eats episodes. Um, Only the old ones though. (laughs) You don't like the new ones? No. (laughs) It's not the same. (laughs) It's not the same. I still enjoy them. Uh, But any reruns of Good Eats or if you can find any like on YouTube or streaming or something, um, they are really, really great for not only learning the how, but also the why. Um, that was one of the things that I have always enjoyed most about Good Eats and what Alton Brown does is that he doesn't just tell you what you're supposed to do, but also why you're supposed to do it. And for me, knowing why actually helps me remember the what. Um, because I, I have always been like, a well, why? Why do we do it that way? Mm-hmm. Um, so he answers that question. So I think that that's a those are all really great recommendations of that are not only to learn, but also be entertained. Yeah, it's really sciencey. I also enjoy, um, there's a YouTube channel, Binging with Babish. Um, mm-hmm. And he, what he does is he actually takes um, like dishes and meals that are made in movies and TV shows and books and stuff and like makes them. But, um, which is highly entertaining, but not necessarily useful for learning things. But he has a Basics with Babish, like side series that he does, where he does actually take like, okay, we're gonna make ramen broth. And here is how we're, you know, we're gonna go in depth on how we're gonna make this awesome broth that then we can use to make other things or whatever it might be. So... And he has a really love, I just love listening to him talk. I could listen to him talk all day. I would also say that if you're looking for how to do a specific thing, like honestly, just Google it because chances are there's like 12 excellent food bloggers out there that have written Mm -hmm. about it. And for, you know, for me, I, I know there's blogs that I personally like and there's ones that you personally like and they might not necessarily overlap so yeah just kind of look for you know it's like it's like music like find the kind of blog that you like yeah absolutely. and that will be probably the best teacher for you absolutely I agree I love this other food question is lava cake just a souffle <laughs> I saw this and I was like <laughs> 10 points to Hufflepuff because the person that submitted it is a Hufflepuff and not a Gryffindor. Uh, <laughs> that a question, Gryffindor would just eat it. <laughs> a Gryffindor would just eat it. That question actually, actually a Hufflepuff might too. Uh, but a, that question came from Ade, our friend Ade. So 
I love that so much. Um, honestly, I don't. I don't think it is. I think it depends because some lava cakes are made in a souffle dish and left in the souffle dish. True. And sometimes they're turned out of a pan. Yes, because there are different ways. There are a couple different ways to make lava cake. And this this is probably going further in depth than she even cares to, to know. But... Like, if you watch um, Great British Bake Off, there are a few different ways that they make... What do they call them? Um, They don't call them lava cakes. They call them uh, self-saucing puds. Self-saucing puddings. (laughs) Um, And so, like, sometimes it's made with, like, the way the batter is made and the way the batter, like, bakes up. It makes, like, the cake on the outside and then, like, the gooey center like the mm-hmm. lava on the inside and then sometimes they actually fill them with something yeah so like us the sauce or they put in like a a frozen like ice cube almost of their filling and then it bakes around it and then as it bakes it like that melts down so i think it might depend on how like what the base is and how it's made well now now that i'm thinking about this question I think it's not. I don't think... I because, think technically it's probably not. Well, because a lava cake, like, it's still cake. True. The cake part is still very cakey, and, like, no one would say it's... A, like, a souffle is very light the and base airy and fluffy, whereas a lava cake, like, it's cake. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to say no. I, I I am probably a no. I haven't made enough lava cakes because they're chocolate and I don't eat chocolate. To You can make lava cakes that aren't chocolate. <laughs> I know that you can. I just don't. I mean, I don't make either one. But <laughs> <laughs> Souffles are a pain in the ass. Souffles are a massive pain in the ass. Um, although, so are lava cakes. So they all do fall under that special category of things that are too much of a pain in the ass for Steffi or Megan to make them. It's true. Can we talk about lava cakes for just one second longer, though? Of course. For some reason, I think, I don't know, it's just like all, you know, general middle America, whatever, like saying this as a person who comes from middle America, uh-huh. um, are like obsessed with lava cakes because there's <laughs> so many restaurants, like restaurants, yes. like ind- independent restaurants, restaurant chains, who just all have lava cake on their dessert menu. Yes. And I don't know why, for one, because they are literally all the same. Like, they are probably the exact same lava cake from the Cisco truck. (laughs) And they just garnish it differently. (laughs) But for some reason, my husband sees that on the menu, and he's like, I would like the lava cake. He can't resist. Not. Anything like it's it's either the lava cake or like whatever like the most chocolatey dessert that they have there, and I'm like, really, really, no, why? But the lava the lava cake is, I, I guess I can enjoy lava cake, but I don't understand it's like hold on America. <laughs> <laughs> why the Midwest is so obsessed with the lava cake? 
<laughs> yes. Is it just the Midwest? I don't know. Listeners, please tell us. Please tell us. If if everywhere that you go, do you see lava cakes on them? Because I do. I agree. There are a lot of lava cakes. They're everywhere. Everybody has a lava cake on their menu. And they all do seem to be. Do you get like bulk pricing? Like, is it? Probably. Did they last forever in the freezer? I I, I need to know. It's probably a yes on all of the above. Probably. This is probably true. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, all right. Since you're from the Midwest, we have a reader who would like to know what it's like for you living in Texas now. Um, I want to say it's not that different, to be honest. Aside, also, I've, Aside from the cedar. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I've, I've been in Texas for 14 and a half years now. Yeah. Um, That's a good chunk of your adult existence. Yeah. I mean, I left the Midwest when I was 25, so it's a it's it's a lot of time. Yeah. Um, and it, I don't know, like, especially maybe it's because I live in Austin, um, which is full of people who are, are not from Texas. True. It, doesn't really feel all that different to me. Um, the main differences for me are really are more coming from like a smaller town mm-hmm. and moving to a town of millions of people. Yeah, I would imagine that would be pretty different. Yeah, and which is what I wanted. Like that's why I left my hometown when yeah. I when I went to college. I went to the Twin Cities. And was very thankful for all the things that I was able to experience in larger cities. And that's why I still live just outside of a larger city. Um, But in terms of like Midwest behaviors and stuff, I don't feel like it's that much different. Mm -hmm. Um, I know people think that, you know, people are friendlier in the Midwest, but people in Texas are also very friendly. Uh, I get... A lot of random people talking to me at the grocery store or on the street or whatever. <laughs> so, the person that literally doesn't want to talk to strangers gets all sorts of people talking to her. I have been witness all the to time, this. all the time. All They're the like, time. It's like they zero in on Megan. Woo! Let's talk to Megan. I don't know. It's not like <laughs> I even have a friendly face, you guys. Like, come on. She will have her RBF in full force and they're still like let's talk to Megan mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah no I think I mean the biggest difference honestly is the weather yeah just uh, like yeah. getting used to the fact that there's no real winter um summer is horrible <laughs> different flora we, and fauna and that's about it yeah we do get to go to the pool very often which is nice so it's nice and we don't have to worry about snow I think maybe that's the main. I think that's one of the bigger, actually, like a cultural thing, because because there isn't that weather difference. You know, like in when it's spring in the Midwest and everyone mm-hmm. gets like so hopeful and excited about like the snow is melting. You can yes. see like the little crocuses popping up oh, out of the ground so and wonderful. like buds on the trees, and you're like, oh my god, the winter hell is almost <laughs> over. Like that's a collective experience. It's true. And I always loved that. And it's not the same here, except for like, I guess when the heat is starting to die down and we're like, well, it's not 100 today. 
Yeah, you're right. I do love, I love the first day of spring where it smells like spring. Mm-hmm. You like open the window. And if you do not live, I, I had a really hard time when I was studying abroad because I was in a city and there was no plant life really. And so I didn't, I missed the first smell of spring day. But if you don't live in the Midwest or somewhere where there is spring, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But there's a day when things are just starting to warm up and you open the windows and it smells like spring for the first time mm-hmm. of that year, it's the best. And then also there's the days where it smells like fall. Yes. We don't like have that crisp, either. But you have the like, there's like smells like leaves. You've got that like, there's like a layer of leaves that are sort of decomposing under the fresh leaves and that combined with like the leaves that are being burned and the like mm-hmm. pumpkins and the apples and everything it just like comes together and it smells like fall oh it's so wonderful yeah now i'm sad <laughs> you can come you can come stay at my house and experience it anytime you want yeah we're not moving back but i'll you can we come like visit. to we like to visit you can come visit so that actually kind of goes to the question that was asked about what are the good and bad parts of living in a smaller town? I live in a smaller town, but it's like a burp away from Austin. Yes. And, but you live in like a, you know, a small-ish town. Yeah. yeah it's not really close to a big city. No, it's really not. So the town that I live in, it's like two cities like kind of smushed together um total there's probably about 150,000 um people in uh, the area um and then you have like a bunch of little teeny tiny towns that surround us that are all farm towns um but we are about like exactly halfway between uh St. Louis and Chicago so we are not too far from like really big cities if we really want to get somewhere. Um, but that's, and that's probably like one of the downsides is that not a lot of stuff is coming to like Bloomington, Illinois, um, in terms of like concerts and stuff like that. There's some that come through or go to Peoria, but, um, you do have to travel a little bit to get to like really really high-end restaurants to get to all of the big museums and the really really great theater and concerts and all of that stuff you definitely have to make a little bit of a trek um there is also um, you have to work a little bit harder to find diversity in smaller towns um, there are a lot of small towns that don't really have any diversity i definitely grew up in one Um, The town that we live in definitely has more, and we chose the part of town that we live in because the high school that we feed into has, is one of the more diverse schools in the area. Um, And so that was something that was really important to us, Um, especially now as we are hopeful adoptive parents and we don't necessarily know what race our future child is going to be. And we want to be able to provide racial mirrors to our our child. Um, And also, 
you know, even if they're white, like we want to be able to surround them with people of all colors and all ethnicities and from all sorts of backgrounds. And so that is sometimes trickier in a smaller town or you have to be a little bit more cognizant of making that a reality. Um, But I also really love living in a smaller town. It's not that busy. I don't really like crowds. Um, So you don't really have like the whole traffic situation. Um, There is also definitely a, there is that like cliche, quintessential, like small town nice thing where you like go out and people are friendly and you probably are going to see somebody you know, or they, you know, know you at the coffee shop or they know you at the, wherever you are going all the time. Like, that's a real thing. And I kind of love it. So um, that's, that's probably one of my one of my favorite parts, I can, you know, walk my dog over to the old campus where I went to school and see professors I had and wave at them and I can go to the coffee shop and they recognize me and I can see people I know and oh, hey, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. So that's, that's one of my favorite things, I would say. Yeah, that's what I like about living in our town, which is small. It's actually a little bit smaller than the town I grew up in. But since it's so close to the big city, then it doesn't feel doesn't feel like it. Yeah, But it just means that like, if we want to go into the big city, we can. But if we don't want to, we can stay in our town and like experience the small town stuff, like go to the local coffee shop and the local barbecue place and um I run into people at the grocery store all the time, which is always very off-putting to me. <laughs> I get, I don't know about you, but when I'm grocery shopping, I get in like in a zone. zone. Yes. And then mm-hmm. people will start talking to me and I'm like, what? What? Oh, okay. Now we have to have a conversation, but I'm trying to grocery shop. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good seeing you. <laughs> uh, speaking weird. of, I live in a small enough town that I often have the same Instacart shopper. So... <laughs> That is pretty crazy. It is a pretty small town. Um, The other thing that I think is it's a little bit unique to our town in a lot of ways, but we have a really great culture of um, nurturing local businesses, Mm -hmm. um, both restaurants and shops. And so there's a whole community here that is really all about shopping small, supporting local farmers and local businesses and local restaurants. And I think that's really great. And so there's lots and lots of really cool places where I can buy unique items. I can go get local, you know, produce or local meats or locally made breads or anything like that and support things that were made within, you know, probably a 50 mile radius of where I live. Um, And I think that that's pretty great. That is really cool. I love yeah. being able to support the small businesses. Absolutely. They, I, I will, I love, you know, again, whether it's a restaurant or we almost never, I mean, there's, if we're like in a, in a, in a pinch need some food, then we'll go to like a fast casual place and grab some food really quick. But if we are going out to dinner on a date night or if we're meeting up with our parents or something, we basically never go to a chain restaurant. There's lots of chain restaurants in our town, but we are always choosing a place that is locally owned. 
and, you know, family owned or something like that. Um, because we just really, most of the time you're getting better food and better service and we just can feel good about where our money's going. The other thing that I love is, um, at least personally, it just happened to me. My town is so small that someone I know bought my old house, <laughs> which is just crazy. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> A guy I went to high school with bought my parents' house, um, the house I grew up in. <laughs> so, so weird. It is so weird. <laughs> you would, I mean, I know there's, you know, a limited amount of houses on the market and stuff, but it's just, it's, so, it's very just funny. strange. <laughs> yeah. So if you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? Oh my gosh. This is a really hard question for me because there's so many places that I haven't been that I yeah. feel like we would be amazing, uh-huh. but I don't, gosh, I don't even know. (laughs) Guys, we just broke Megan. (laughs) We broke me. Because, so, I love California a lot. Uh Every time we go to California, I'm just like, oh my God, I love California. I love it here. I love it here. I love it here. I, uh, I hate the drivers in California. They're all insane. Terrible. But, um, if California wasn't so expensive, we would probably move there. Um, I don't know what part of California because I love San Diego. I love San Francisco area. I love Sacramento, which I know people think is weird. (laughs) (laughs) I just really love California and like the fact that you have the mountains and you have the ocean and Mm -hmm. you have the valley where all the food grows. Just like this amazing like monoculture to me. It's like as a food person, it's just like super fascinating. Um, I do think that wherever it would be, it would be somewhere where I can see water. Okay. It's kind of weird because I'm afraid of drowning. Sure. But yes. Uh-huh. I always like feel better if I can like see water around me. Like it's very peaceful to me. That's so funny. I like going to the beach and like sitting on the beach and like we went I went on a canoe trip when I was a teenager and like the very best time of it was like sitting on a rock and staring at the water and I did that like basically everywhere I go where there's water I'm like I'm just gonna watch the water now so does it need to be like ocean or could it be like a lake no no like a lake or river or just any 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 body of water I don't okay like I wouldn't uh discount the ocean but i'm not a fan of like the vastness the vastness <laughs> yes like my husband always wants to go on a cruise and i'm super against it for various reasons but one of the reasons is that like you'd be on a boat and literally the only thing around you is the ocean yeah. and that sounds <laughs> I terrifying i was <laughs> thinking about it <laughs> right um but like our house right now is across the street from a little pond and that's very soothing to me that's for so whatever funny. reason. I did not know yeah. that about you. Yeah, I don't know why it is. It just has always kind of been that way. It's but horrible. so for right now, I'm just going to say California because I feel that's a very blanket statement, but it's a very hard choice. It, you know, it does narrow it down in the world. Yeah. I mean, I also really love Europe. Um, it just feels so much more, I don't know, it's Europe, you know? Yeah. That's just kind of easy to explain. I feel like if I ever 
do ever get to Sweden, which is my like dream vacation spot that I want to visit, I would probably want to move there too. Probably. <laughs> like they're so nice here and yes, have healthcare. It's great. <laughs> it's amazing. What about you? Spain. Yeah. It's a, that's a pretty easy one for me and it's probably a a cheaty answer because that's where I studied abroad and mm. where Alex and I honeymooned, but I love Spain so much. I love the people, I love the food, I love the culture, I love the weather. I just I love it. Um and I studied abroad in Madrid, but there wasn't anywhere that I went in Spain that I did not love. I also really loved Portugal. So pretty much anywhere in the Iberian Peninsula, I could be a really happy camper. Yeah, I was going to say France, but then I decided that I don't know if I could actually live with speaking French all the time. (laughs) Like I know I would obviously get used to it, but I think if I had to speak French all the time, I would feel too disconnected from my you know, past life and yeah. friends and family and all that. And yeah. I think that would be a little bit too hard for me. Yeah, I, I did it. And I could, I could gladly do it again with the speaking Spanish all of the time. Um, and there's enough places that where you can speak English. Um, but well, I, think I think it'll be fine for like a while. But yeah, you know, longer than a year or two, I think. Yeah. would be too much. Okay, yeah, and I that that is like the one downside of that for me would be the dis like the physical distance from like my friends and family here, um, and just like being that many hours ahead and like not just being able to pop over and see somebody like even like yes, let's say that you were in California, like that's a four hour flight for me five hour flight whatever I have layovers so I never really know how long it is um (laughs) which so it's not like a fast trip but it's also not impossible but when you add in that like transatlantic flight it definitely becomes a little bit trickier um so, you know, I, my cousin and her husband just moved to Barcelona. They lived there before they had kids, and then they just moved back for Joseph's job. Um, and, um, you know, I know that they weren't able to make it home for Thanksgiving and stuff like that. So it does make things a little bit, a little bit trickier. So if I could just like, if I could make like a good flu network, so I could just, or, you know, hop in my little fireplace and like come back home that's what our, that's where I would be or just like apparate there I am live in Harry Potter all would be well we're gonna have to circle back on that topic when we do our Harry Potter episode <laughs> because I have feelings about, have the, feelings flu about the flu network <laughs> I do they don't sell it real well but no it sounds terrifying <laughs> we shall come back to that <laughs> We've got some more questions that we weren't able to get to, but we will do another one of these in the future. Um, But let's wrap it up today with an interesting question, which is what is one recipe you will never share? Do you have one? I don't think I do. You're pretty To be honest. Yeah, I don't... There's no like... 
guarded family secret recipe. Mm-hmm. Um, like we talked about in the food episode, like my family didn't cook that much. Like we, you know, things that they made from scratch were like chili, which was never the same every time and spaghetti sauce, which I'm sure was never the same every time uh-huh. <laughs> or things from like the back of box recipes. So it's not like there's a secret family recipe hanging out there. I wish there was. Yeah. I would love to. Maybe I can make something of my own, be my secret family recipe, yeah, and not tell just anyone. Be the thing that you guard. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any recipes that I will never share, like period. But I do have one that I will probably never blog. That is my aunt's baked bean recipe, and they're amazing. Um, but they're sort of like her, and I don't even want to say they're like a secret recipe because she will share the recipe. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have like a weird thing about sharing it on the blog. Like it feels like that secret family recipe that I should never share on the blog. And so I probably never will, but it is also a recipe where like we take them to, we take these beans to like cookouts and stuff all the time in the summer. And every time everyone's like, oh my God, I need this recipe. And it's so easy. I can like rattle it off to them right there and I will gladly share it. And so will my aunt, but I don't think I'll ever put it on the blog. Interesting. I wonder why that is. I I don't know. I feel like just putting it out there widely is like, I don't know. It's like cracking that secret too wide open. Whereas like if you've had them and you know how good they are, then I feel like you are deserving of being handed the recipe. I don't know. Like you think people wouldn't appreciate it if they hadn't actually eaten it. I feel like they wouldn't. And then they would. But once you eat it, then you're like, oh, my God. Okay, yeah, I'm a believer. Right. I am a believer. I can kind of understand that because I know there's, you know, any blogger, there's always a recipe that you put up that you're so proud of, that you love, that it might it might either be the family recipe or just a recipe that you just are really happy with and you put it up and it's crickets. Yes. And that's devastating. It is because you like put so much love into it. And then Mm -hmm. or you like have that recipe where you're like, I know this sounds weird. Please try it. Please, 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 please try it. I know I sound like a freak, but like, I swear it's really good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, I, I, my fruitcake cookies are like that. You actually made a video for those for me last year. And I when I sent you the recipe, I said, I know this sounds weird, but I promise they're really good. And you made them and you go, oh, these actually are really good. They are good. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. They're still weird, but they they're are good. They're still weird, but they're really good. So, you know, everybody, all food bloggers have a recipe like that. <laughs> so... Oh, well, it has been so much fun hearing from all of you guys and answering your questions. And we will do this again soon because there were some that we didn't get to. And I know that we're going to get more. Um, but now it's time to talk about what is bringing us joy. Megan, you're, you go first. The thing that is bringing me joy right now is gummy bears. Yes. So backstory for our listeners. Um, one of our sponsors for one of the events that we did this year or last year, um, they gave us swag that was gummy bears. And I don't know if anyone has ever had these Sugarfina Rose all day gummy bears. So good. But they're amazing. 
and it was the most exciting box that we opened, basically. Uh-huh. And then there were some left over. And so we took them to our team retreat in Michigan and ate them all very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it was alarming how quickly we ate them. It was very alarming. Um, but I just got myself a box of them the other day <sighs> because I saw them on the shelf and I was like, oh my God, those were so good. And so I got them. And they're just as good as I remembered. And uh, gummy bears just make people happy. Like, I don't know what it is about candy shaped like cute little animals that people love. But yeah, there's just something about a gummy bear, man. I love gummy bears. Uh, Traditional gummy bears. What is your favorite color? Red. Nice. Mine are the white ones. Oh, I do like the white ones. I was worried you were going to say green. Oh, no. I will. I, will, I don't. I, and interestingly, the red are not usually my favorite. Orange are definitely not my favorite. Um, but the white ones, I will, ho- I will hoard a white gummy bear. I will like squirrel it away. <laughs> keep it for myself. Hide it from people. Don't you take my. And they're always like the fewest white ones in the bag. Yeah. Just just a rip off. You know what I really like, though, is um, they're not actually gummy bears, but those gummy raspberry blackberry candies Ooh. with like the little tiny sugar pearly things uh-huh. around the outside. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Okay. <laughs> I do because we have farm and fleet. And okay. so if you live in the Midwest in a farming community, you know what farm and fleet is. It's basically Or fleet farm, depending on where you are. Depending on where you are. Uh, it's basically a t- giant store. I call it Man Target, actually. Mm-hmm. It's uh, accurate. Because they have farming supplies. They have, like, uh, gardening stuff, like, home, like, um any things you would find at a hardware store but then they also have clothes and some food and like pet supplies but farm and fleet has the best selection of old school candy mm-hmm. and big bags of old school candy which my husband loves he loves like old people sour candies um we have like mason jars of the like uh sour cherry balls and lemon drops on our kitchen counter because he is secretly an 80 year old man um but they have those raspberry blackberry candies at farm and fleet if i knew you loved them i'll have to bring you some next time i see you a big bag of them uh that would be awesome although i know we can get them like haribo makes them as well oh uh uh-huh um so I can get them here. I was introduced to them in, I don't know if you did this at your school, but um, in junior high, we had like the international candy sale. What? If you were in, if you were in, a, well, I guess everybody was in a foreign language class in junior high, but the German and French and Spanish classes, they would every year we would have like a, a candy sale and it would be candies from all these different countries so there'd be german candies so there'd be like that's amazing ritter sport bars and like gummy candies for germany and then spain would have i don't even know what (laughs) i can't remember now um i mean i know there's lollipops but i don't know if those lollipops were spanish or mexican or Mm -hmm. italian 
Hard to say, to be right. honest with you. Um, France would have those pastilles that come in the tin. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was always like, it was the most exciting time. You'd be like, Gosh, oh my God, international candy. <laughs> it was like world market to your house. I'm so jealous. But that's how I learned about these uh, raspberry blackberry candies. And then I didn't have them again for like 15 years. And then I realized you could just buy them at the store. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now I will think about you every time I'm at Man Target and I see those candies. That's, That's so a good funny. association. Yeah. What is what is bringing you joy this week? Um, making gifts for friends. Uh, one of my really good friends is they are pregnant. Well, I'm friends with the couple. Um, they are pregnant with their first baby due in April and I am crocheting them a baby blanket right now and I just love making things like that for people. Do they know that you're making them a blanket and or do they listen to this podcast? They <laughs> because now we've know. ruined it. <laughs> I will have it done. They will know. Yes. Okay. By, the time that, by the time that this airs, they will either know that I am making it or I will have already given it to them. So because I'm a, I'm a fair ways along with it. So I'll be finished with it pretty soon. But um, and it's just turning out. It's turning out really cute. But I love just making things, um, especially baby things. They're always mm. so cute. I I um, have made little baby sweaters before and oh my god they're the cutest things ever so I always have really good intentions to make gifts for people and then I never finish them like I get all the supplies or I like think about what I'm gonna do and then I'll start it and then I'll be like this takes forever and then I don't finish (laughs) it It depends on the time in my life and how many other things are happening at once. And Mm -hmm. like, are there multiple babies being born or multiple people getting married or whatever? Because if there are, I probably can't handle that shit. But if there's like one really special baby being born or like one person getting married at a time, then I can like focus and make something. Yeah, a couple of years ago, I, I got a cross-stitch pattern, and I was going to make this cross-stitch pattern for, like, three people, and I didn't even finish the first one, because I was cro- <laughs> I was doing it, and I was like, oh my god, I forgot how long cross-stitching takes Cross-stitching to do. is really slow, and I have a, I have a cross-stitch project I've been working on for what feels like a million years for myself, and I had to pause and work on this crocheted blanket because crocheting goes really quickly for mm-hmm. me. And so I like needed to break it up with something that went fast because I was like, oh my God, I've been working on this for a million years. So yeah, it's just, a yeah, I, I feel the same way about crocheting. Crocheting, I feel so much more productive when I'm doing it. Yeah. It goes faster. Cro- cross-stitching you have to like count the squares very carefully yes because you have to follow the design and if you don't then it looks stupid and you have to go (laughs) back and the whole thing yes yeah I last year I made a really pretty um pin cushion for my mother-in-law for Christmas that was cross-stitched and then uh, sewn together and uh that didn't take me too long because it was a smaller project so I think the key is like smaller projects because then they go faster. (laughs) I'll have to keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. Yes. So next week, we are going to dive a little deep. 
Um, we're going to set aside some of our frivolity, although I'm sure that there will still be some happening. Um, we are going to have a guest on to talk about growing up gay within the church and growing up a little bit outside of the norms of the church. So join us back here for that. Yeah, I think that will be a really insightful and interesting interview. So I hope that you guys all join us for that one. Absolutely. Until then, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and listen to us on Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also drop us a line anytime at I'd rather stay in podcast at gmail.com or via Instagram at IRSI Podcast. We love to hear from you. Talk to you soon. Shh.